Okay, we're good. Hey, we're live. Okay. Hey, everybody. Sorry about hey, the technical hey, difficulties. Um, but, I mean, if you've been watching our our stuff for a while now, that's just commonplace. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I yeah. will admit it was all my fault. But, <laughs> yeah, Aiden's going to take the blame for it. It was entirely me. So, my bad. But, hi. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, all right. So this is a this is a first for us with this this new show. Um, but uh, it's something we've been talking about for uh, probably a little over like a month now. Um, something we want to do. So uh, the idea here is we're going to take some of the weirder, more um, some of the more mystical and mythical and prophetic, uh, the apocalypse literature, all all that fun stuff from the Bible that you don't really hear about a ton. Um, you know, at at mass or in Sunday school. Uh, and we're we're gonna dive into it, and um, you know how th- we're gonna cover everything from um, you know the the historical background through what actually is in the book to some of the interpretations. Uh, Isaiah here is really excited to talk about a very specific feast moment, which <laughs> was the one thing he really <laughs> cared about part. with this episode. So I am really excited to get going today. We're gonna be talking about no, the no book- no joke. I was going to say, Aiden was like, how's this topic sound? And I go, yeah, that sounds cool. I want to talk about this one part. You can cover the rest. I just want to talk about this one thing. But you have fun with it. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we're <laughs> we're going to be talking about the book of Daniel, um, which is one of the uh, – definitely one of the books of the Bible that focuses a lot more on um, dream interpretation and God as this uh, this intervening figure rather than kind of the lofty – out of the way uh, figure that Christianity kind of sees, but uh, so it's it's definitely much more of the Jewish tradition um, to really just dive into it, I guess, because I don't want to, you know, we're we're already running a little bit late, but uh, the the historical background here I think is important, and if you'll if you'll allow me to indulge myself as as the historian here, um, Babel Neo it was it, the Babylonian exile is the the thing that gets talked about the most in regards to this event, and that is. The period of time when the Jews were taken out of their homeland in Israel, uh, Judah specifically at this time, and forced to resettle over in uh, Mesopotamia, specifically in in and around Babylon. Um, but the the term is a little confusing because when we're talking about this Babylonian exile, we're not talking about the Babylonian Empire of Hammurabi. Uh, many people remember Hammurabi from Hammurabi's Code. You learn about it in world history, uh, the first written um, code of laws in human history that we know of. Uh, but that is like the 1800s BC. So what we're talking about here is much more, uh, you know, pre post Bronze Age collapse and, um, you know, into into this new world. It's it's that period of time between the fall of the old Egyptian Empire and the Hittites. And, uh, you know, some of the other Anatolian um, empires and uh, just prior to the Persian Empire. So in that span of time between the Bronze Age collapse, between around 1177 B.C. and uh, around 539 B.C. when Cyrus the Great came and conquered everything, uh, you know, the, the known world at the time up to Greece, basically, uh, that is that is the period of time we're talking about. It's one of the less studied. It's kind of known as the Middle Eastern Dark Ages in some cases. Um, but what, what had happened here was, uh, Babylon itself was not a kingdom at the start of this story. It was the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And the Neo-Assyrian Empire, uh, was a resurgence of the old Assyrian Empire from pre-Bronze Age collapse times. Um, and 
essentially what happened was Babylon was this, uh, this independent kingdom, but it wasn't an empire. They weren't powerful, but it was this ancient and uh, very holy city to the Mesopotamian people. And, uh, around 745, Babylon is conquered by Neo-Assyria, by King, uh, Tiglath-Pileser II. He crowns himself King of Babylonia instead of making Babylon into another Assyrian province. And this is what causes those problems down the line, because eventually, rather than having, uh, a, a simple province within a territory, they end up with puppet kings. So instead of satraps and princes, they have puppet kings. And when one of these puppet kings, a man by the name of, why am I blanking on it? Uh, Candelanu dies in 627 BC, and he leaves the throne of Babylon uh, vacant for an entire year. And then he's followed by a figure uh, who is King Narbopalasar, in 626. The problem here is that the Assyrian king, Sinshara Ishkun, did not approve of this uh, this ascendancy. And this began a civil war where Nabopolassar uh, holed up in his home city of Uruk, and eventually he sallied out, retook Babylon by around 620 BC, and then from there decided he was going to wage war on the Assyrians and try and uh, assert Babylonian dominance again for the first time in hundreds, even uh, possibly a thousand years. And uh, he began this uh, in 616 BC with the help of the Medes, and the Neo-Babylonians launched this invasion of Neo-Assyria, uh, took the heartland by 612 BC. By 610 BC, the Assyrians are completely defeated, uh, and Babylon takes control of most of their territory. And in the following decade, they would spread out and conquer the rest of what had been the Neo-Assyrian Empire. So... What you end up with is uh, in 605, Babylon's armies reach Judah, which is the southern kingdom of the Israelites, the southern kingdom of the Jews. Uh, the Neo-Assyrians had conquered Israel itself, uh, also known at the time as Samaria, not Sumeria, Samaria. Uh, this is also the Samaritans of the Good Samaritan parable. Um, so they, they were kind of a mixed group, a mixed ethnic group of people who were religiously Jewish, but ethnically mixed between um, Canaanites and Jews. So, uh, 605, they reach Judah, and uh, King, uh, I'm not going to pronounce his name right. <laughs> I keep wanting to say Joaquin, like Joaquin Phoenix, but I know that's not it. It's closer to, like, Joachim. Um, <laughs> so, uh, he agrees to pay tribute to the nearest to the Neo-Babylonians. But in 601, he says, you know what, I'm not really feeling it anymore. I feel like maybe you can't take the city of Jerusalem and you're just bluffing with me. Uh, to which um, Nebuchadnezzar II replied, I, I bet, and proceeded to uh, raise the city. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is what happened. <laughs> so he goes and he, he raises the entire city of Jerusalem uh, in 601 and then expels uh, most of the Jews back to Babylon, and uh, establishes, I believe his name was Zebediah, uh, as king of Judah, to be the, the client king over there. Uh, about 13 years later, in 587, Zebediah uh, rebels, and at that point, they really screw Judah. They're, they're like, alright, no more Jews here in Jewland. You're, you're going back to Mesopotamia. Um, so, uh, and for, they stay there. For the entire, the, the Neo-Babylonian Empire is like super powerful, but extremely short-lived. It only lasts until 539, 538 BC when it's conquered by the Persians, who ironically were the people that helped them conquer it from the Neo-Assyrians um, by Cyrus the Great. Uh, so that leaves us, that gets us to where we are with the book of Daniel. And Daniel is uh, 
a cross between sort of a um, sociological history uh, as well as a prophecy. And um, that's that's what we're going to get into the, the meat and potatoes of that today. Daniel's broken up into 12 chapters. The last three of them, 10, 10 11, and 12, uh, involve prophecies. And this is one of the few times that uh, Michael, the archangel, is mentioned by name, though he's not mentioned as an archangel. There is discussion of the uh, various princes who are actually uh, high-ranking angels on either side of the the divine war that's been going on all around us for all of history. And uh, there's also some very interesting stuff that you learn about, uh, you know, this this world and how accurate the Bible actually is as a historical text. Because when I was doing research for this, something that I found super, super interesting was the number of times that I saw something stated as fact by uh, Wikipedia and like gorgeous things I've ever sat through. Thank you for that. Wow, we could go home. I'd be happy. That was so cool. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. All right. Is that yeah, the, uh, is that the Sunday school like... version? Is that is that what you teach the kids? <laughs> Woo! I thought, no, I, I stand up there and I'm like, nah, isn't this neat? All right, let's all eat donuts and go home. That was some like. History Channel after 2 a.m. stuff. <laughs> that, oh, man, that was great. Thank you. Wow. All right. I was, I was like, <laughs> I'm sure, I, I hope everyone else enjoyed that because I was blown away by that. This man told me before the show, he's like, oh, I took some notes. Uh, I just want to talk about before we start. And then he does that. Wow. Okay. That's, I'm pumped. I mean, that's what yeah. I do. That's my job. <laughs> ah, Archie, oh, my God, you're getting wires great. out of everywhere. Woo. All right, I'm gonna try and uh, pull up this this stream on my end of things. If you wanna, if you wanna kind of give us the the religious backstory here, since I just did the historical. Yeah, so uh, this comes near the end of the Old Testament, both chronologically and in the order that it's arranged uh, in the Old Testament itself. A lot of uh, the kind of divider people use, uh, at least in my Bible circles, to describe like. Older Old Testament and like the more recent New Testament is the book of Psalms. Daniel takes takes place after the book of Psalms, so it's considered one of the later ones in the Old Testament. Where this comes in the Bible is after the... So to give a short rundown of how the men of God and uh, people of God worked is initially you had the judges that were appointed to the children of Israel, and those went off for some time until the people demanded a king. Whenever the people demanded a king, they transferred from the judges into the prophets. Uh, the last judge became the first prophet, and that was Samuel, uh, and the first king was King Saul. So this is during the time of kings, uh, but more specifically, it's during the time that is most often known as the divided kingdom. Essentially, there was so much infighting and wars that was happening uh, with the children of God that they went from being their own kings and uh, d controlling their own devices into being controlled by others. So this is during a period of time where the children of God, uh, they went from just being ruled by God and judges to being ruled by their own kings, and now they're being ruled by other people's kings. And what's interesting about the book of Daniel, one of the reasons I love it so much, uh, is not in quite the detail that Aiden just dropped on us all. That was really cool. But uh, one of my favorite details about it is you can see a regime shift throughout the book, actually twice in a way. Um, 
And what I love about it is the language that's described around it. And the reason I want to talk about the feast, uh, which we'll get to in a minute, isn't just because it's cool, but it's because it has one of the best lines to describe all of this happening at once. Uh, there's this thing I say in my Sunday school class all the time, that every one of these characters, especially in the Old Testament, they had a point in their story where they should have known better. They knew what God was capable of. They knew that they were testing him. And there was a point of no return they all passed. And the book of Daniel specifically names that point of no return. Um, but I'm a huge fan of the book. So that's essentially our setup. The children of God are being controlled by someone else. And as um, Aiden described, that's the Neo-Babylonian Empire, at least at the beginning of the book. That changes really fast. And mm -hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned the Persians, because as you know, uh, we it, we get like verses of the day that the Persians took over mm -hmm. uh, the providence of Judah. Mm -hmm. And that, that's fantastic. But anyway, yeah, that's like the religious setup to this. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most incredible, I, I think one of the most incredible works of... I, I, with Daniel, I would have to call it historical fiction to an extent because uh, there's there is some stuff in there that we have yet to corroborate. Um, but there's also I, I was looking through it and there's um, it, it, what it seems to me uh, when I read through it is that it seems like it's it's definitely oral tradition that was passed down over time before eventually making it into uh, the written record, probably around the time of the Maccabean Revolt. But the, the stories and specifically one of the prophecies that we'll get to uh, talk about things that the Maccabees would not have known about, that, that would have been too far in the future for them to see coming, which specifically one of those things is the Romans. So uh, they just kind of like, um, you know, the, the common explanation is, oh, well, it was, it was written in response to Antiochus uh, the fourth and and what he was doing but there's a few pas passages in there that are like that must have come down directly from Daniel way back when because it doesn't make sense in con in the context of Antiochus um, and and that thing specifically is uh, from from the the first vision at the beginning of the chapter at the beginning of the book of Daniel which is uh, Nebuchadnezzar who is Nebuchadnezzar the second uh, king of the Neo Babylonian Empire. Um, has a dream that, that upsets and disturbs him. And he calls all the wise men from throughout the kingdom, including uh, some of these uh, sons of Jewish noblemen who they brought in. And the idea was they were going to bring in the, the sons of these Jewish noblemen and they were going to educate them in uh, Babylonian history, religion, language, all of that, and try and basically take the next... Uh, my assumption of this is that what the plan was, was that they would educate uh, the ruling elite, the political elite of Jewish society. And then once they were educated and immersed in Babylonian culture, then they would send them back to Judah so that they could rule and be, uh, you know, a more pro-Babylon force. That I That is not my assumption because of what's in the book. That's my assumption as a historian, just seeing kind of the, the parallels with other times that that had happened. Um in the time period, often they would well, take I'll, hostages and whatnot. I'll, sure. Also at this, uh, from what we see at like the feast later and mentions of Nebuchadnezzar, it seems that they had, or at least Nebuchadnezzar had sort of a pantheon of gods and beliefs that he believed in. And he was, it, what always struck me, at least at the beginning of Daniel, is like he's testing 
uh, the Jewish God to see how he feels about it. Because whenever he he brings in the wise men of Judah to interpret the dream, he says, I want you to tell me what this dream means. And whenever they ask, okay, well, what was the dream? He says, I'm not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. If your God's real, then you should just know what it is. He doesn't even tell them what the dream is. It tells them to interpret it. Uh, it's like he's like, all right, I want to see how foolproof this God of yours is. Uh, and he threatens to kill the men, right? Yeah. If they can't interpret it by a certain amount of time, yeah. So uh, definitely um, a heavy hand trying to see if this god is everything that it's supposedly cracked up to be. So it seems like he's there's a little test aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the it, it seems like the Babylonians at this point were probably a henotheistic religion, so it seems like they, they probably had their gods that they worshipped and believed were more powerful, but they also probably recognized the possibility that there were other gods of other countries. Um, th- this is much like what happened. Uh, the The term polytheism definitely works, but the term henotheism means uh, that you believe there are a, a large pantheon of gods, some of which uh, are not your gods. They're the gods of other civilizations, other cultures. So you believe that your gods are stronger or you like yours better or they're attached to your your land in some way um and this is the way that the romans were it's the way that the norse were uh we don't know much about the celts but they were probably similar um you know it seems like most cultures throughout uh history kind of took this approach uh the Ger- not the germans the greeks don't seem to um the greeks seem to be very specific that our gods are the gods uh and that olympus is where they all live uh the romans were a bit different than that but the what, what happens here is that uh, ne- Nebuchadnezzar's dream, um, he presents it to the wise men. He's like, because uh, what he's worried about, he, he thinks that it's possible that the wise men of his kingdom have been taking his dreams and just uh, coming up with an interpretation that he's going to like to hear. So he, he doesn't want to give them that opportunity. So he says, uh, if you're really capable of interpreting g- dreams, then surely you can tell me what my dream was about without me telling you like if if you have these special powers you must be able to and they essentially admit in the first uh bit of daniel here that they can't um and that they're guilty of exactly (laughs) what he said that they were doing um they're essentially a bunch of a bunch of yes men and con men um but daniel and the jew the jewish uh, community the jewish prophets uh so to speak the jewish dream interpreters aren't there when this happens he calls in the uh the Chaldeans, so other Babylonians, other people from Mesopotamia to do this. Uh, and what happens is uh, the chief eunuch who's appointed to go and, um, you know, it's essentially inform Daniel and all of his friends they're going to be put to death, uh, goes and talks to Daniel, and Daniel goes, okay, well, hold on, hold on, like, let's cool, you know, cool it with the anti-Semitic remarks. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> If you thought I wasn't going to be able to to quote American Psycho on here, you were very, very wrong. Uh, on a Bible podcast, yep. I'm I'm impressed, I'll admit. So Daniel, uh, he basically gets himself a stay, and he, he's like, all right, let me let me go in, and I'll speak to him, and I'll, I'll interpret the dream. And that night, he uh, has a vision where God comes to him and, uh, you know, says, I'm, I'm, giving you the power to interpret dreams. Uh, and then he goes in and interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which is um, complicated, to say the least. Uh, Isaiah, I'm sure, is this is this something that you're familiar with? The dream itself? Yeah. 
Oh, did you want? Because uh, I have the actual passage I could read from, or I could just like give Go a for it. lame explanation. All right. Go for it. So, uh, this is after, as Aiden said, uh, all of the official dream tellers had no idea what was going on. And they come to Daniel, they're like, hey, he's going to kill all of you. And Daniel says, well, am I allowed to try to figure it out? So he asks for God to give him wisdom on the dream, and God does. And it is, there's a lot of, O King, live forever. Mm -hmm. uh, da, 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 da. Here it is. So this is Daniel telling the king what the dream was. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and... The form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. And uh, what, what does that mean? <laughs> so, uh, in, the, in the next several verses, Daniel describes what the interpretation is. But the short version is that what... Uh, the king was viewing in his dream, which that was the dream, by the way. The king was yes. rather amazed that he got it right. Um, what the actually, interpretation the was when that... supposedly uh, declares that um, blasphemy against the Jewish God is illegal. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's whenever he's like, oh, this, this guy's God, he's got it. And then immediately afterwards, he builds a statue of himself, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Um, at, the... <laughs> at this part, uh, he's blown away, and as Daniel interprets the dream, the image that the king saw, the statue that had a head of gold, chest of silver, and these increasing uh, or decreasingly important metals uh, was destroyed by a stone because the statue was built with feet that were made of clay and iron, and they shattered at the weight of the stone. The interpretation of the dream is that the image is representative of the Babylonian Empire, or as Aiden described, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and that because the foundation of the nation was not properly built, hence the iron and clay, mm -hmm. whenever a stone that was made without hands, or the wrath of God, essentially, comes and attacks the statue, it will immediately be destroyed because yeah. there's no foundation. And then while that statue is destroyed, that uh, it said that the stone formed a mountain over the earth. In other words, God will reign, uh, and you won't get to be a part of it because you've built your foundation, as the New Testament would say, on sand. Mm -hmm. um, but you, uh, an unsturdy foundation. So that was the interpretation of it. And Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He's like, wow, you got it right. That's so cool. He kind of glosses over the point that his empire is going to fall apart. He's just amazed that Daniel got it right. And he appoints Daniel as one of his chief uh, advisors, essentially. Yeah, it's and it, it, what's fascinating about that is it's an extra, extraordinarily similar story to uh, Joseph from Genesis, which I think is so mm. incredibly interesting. And, you know, because uh, yeah, Joseph, like, if you look back, the, it, was, it was DreamWorks, right? Joseph, King of Dreams. Yeah. The, the movie that everyone it's probably like half remembers from childhood. Uh, I love that movie. It's, it's such so a good, good. It's so good. <laughs> it's um, so great. That worked. Yeah, but uh, 
so it's it's very similar to that story where you have an outsider who comes in, um, a Jewish outsider who comes in, interprets dreams, and ends up being appointed to a position of very, very high authority. Um, and uh, one of the other interesting parts of this is in Christian theology, uh, this has come to be understood as kind of having a, a twofold meaning. There's the very uh, pr prescient meaning of, you know, if, if your your empire is going to fall because it's built on um, you know pillars of sand, uh, but then there's the the dual meaning where it's also possibly a prophecy of times to come, um, and one of the most interesting parts that I've seen is that that uh, the head of gold represents Babylon. Sorry, Archie is uh, growling for no reason. <laughs> so <laughs> the head is Babylon. Um, in some of these interpretations, and then the uh, the shoulders of of silver, shoulder and chest of silver are Persia, and then the bronze is uh, the Hellenistic Empire, which makes the uh, the feet made of clay and iron into uh, Rome, and uh, that essentially, you know, the the way that that part can be interpreted is that uh, the the Romans are kind of going to be the the breaking point here. Um, which is interesting when you look at it and, and you wonder, you know, it, okay, how much of this, like, can, can reasonably be attributed as prophecy when you look at it and you say, all right, well, he kind of gets everything right here. Because if you look at it that way, like, that's, that's predicting the exact amount of, uh, empires that will rise and fall before, um, you know, this, this entire area actually does eventually succumb to, uh, the you know the the current ruling force of that area which is islam um but back then you know it's because uh, because the last people to rule that region prior to the foundation of islam were the romans uh it was the byzantine romans but it was the romans nonetheless um you know jerusalem and the the near east were all taken from byzantine rome in 636 a.d so there's there's a fascinating like dual meaning to it uh that you know, I, I think is is certainly interesting. And if if it is referencing Rome, then the the common theory that this was written in response to Antiochus uh, the fourth of the Seleucid Empire doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, and this is not the only time that kind of Rome can fit into this prophecy. There's there's a couple more times as well. But uh, the the later aspect of it is that um, you know I totally lost my train of thought there. Wow. I've been up for way too long. Um, but yeah, you get my point. You get my <laughs> point. If, if it was that, yeah. that was it. If it was written about Antiochus, then the number, the number four doesn't make sense. Um, and we'll get into that more with the, the king of the north and the king of the south and Michael being embattled with the prince of Persia and all that that happens later in the, in the book. Um, but to, to me, there's, uh, there's one part specifically, if I can pull up my, uh, my hefty boy right here. And... Scroll on down to Daniel, because there's a very interesting passage in here um, that I just need to find really quickly. I should have bookmarked it. That would have been smart. You, you live and you learn. You know, you learn new things. Uh, and it is uh, Daniel 2.44. Uh, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. 
So that is an, interpreted by Christians to be a prophecy not of the coming of Christ, but of the second coming of Christ specifically. Uh, which, if you then read the book of Revelation, very much mirrors what John is talking about, um, you know, 600 years later. Uh, so I, I, that's one of the parts that's fascinating to me. And it's one of those things where uh, a, a big criticism of Christianity that I hear from Jews commonly is that Christ doesn't actually fulfill enough of the... Um, the, the bits and pieces. The, I think there's six specific things that they usually criticize that he doesn't fulfill to be the the prophesied Messiah. And the thing is, Christians are like, well, that's that's because he fulfills those in the second coming. Um, not not because we're you know because we're trying to make it fit, but because there is a there is a millennial reign right. coming and all of that. And I think that that's um, I, that is all fascinating to me. That like uh, you know because. Because Christ and the apostles all quote Daniel when they're talking about this. So when was the when was the book written is a great question. But also like, um, you know, it's it's incredible to see exactly how well versed the New Testament um, figures were with the Old Testament source material. Like they were clearly very very immersed in it, um, and I think that's that's fascinating. That's the, that's my tangent. Um, but uh, yeah, the so, very nice. again, that was very hot. I love that. <laughs> the the next part of the book is uh is one of my favorites. It's uh mainly because of the names of the people involved. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are like such such chill names. Like if I were to if I were to start like a glam band, <laughs> if I were to start a glam band, I would definitely be like Shadrach. Um, that would be the name of my that would be my stage persona. <laughs> But uh, this is this is the part uh, that you were talking about where Nebuchadnezzar is like, man, that Christian God, or that not not Christian, that Jewish God is really powerful. I'm gonna build a statue to myself. <laughs> yeah, that's so, about how it goes. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it's if funny you, if, to me is like, <laughs> go on, go ahead, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I, I was about to say like, I was go, gonna say, go what, for it. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, what's funny to me. Uh, studying like the Old Testament as a whole is Nebuchadnezzar is strikingly similar to Saul mm -hmm. um, because every time that Saul's mentioned this, this moment where he's like, ah, oh, man, God knows what he's talking about. That's crazy. Man, and God's got hands. Whenever, like, you're... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fight God. Oh, man, God's got hands. <laughs> That's most of the uh, That's most of the Old Testament. For a while. <laughs> That's most of the Old Testament, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, now that I'm done being sacrilegious, <laughs> um, trying to you, that totally threw me off. You're sorry, my bad. <laughs> so, oh yeah, no, no, no. You're good. God's got hands. Um, uh, well, uh, he commissions okay. this idol. Yeah, the whole thing this, with this ninety thing. foot tall idol. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely not boisterous at all. Yeah, so to put it in perspective, he has that entire moment with Daniel. He's like, man, your God knows what he's talking about. And immediately in chapter 3 of Daniel, he builds a 90-foot-tall golden image of himself that everyone has to bow down to or they will be executed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, so. when, when you're fully aware of uh, the faith and the tenets of the faith of, of the people that you have just assigned to be, like, the second highest rank in your kingdom... And you're like, I I'm going to make them commit blasphemy. 
That's going to be my first thing that I do. Also, this <laughs> this is also like it's another one of those times where like the Bible rhymes with itself all the time. Um, again, what was another thing that got built in Babylon by a Babylonian king that God took umption to? <laughs> like, Bro, the Tower of Babel. The reason we speak different languages. The reason I have to take German in high school <laughs> because they thought it would be cute to try to climb up and fight God. Um, that's the reason I was talking to you right before we started about why I love the painting Balthazar, because in the background of the painting, you can see the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. As if it's like they like they have the reminder of man's folly, yet here they go again. Yep. Over and over, and I love stuff like that. But It's, yeah. it's yeah. beautiful. It's wonderful. <laughs> you, you love to see it, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's right there. <laughs> it's literally right there. And they're just like, mm, that won't happen again. We'll just leave it like this. Like, uh, come on, guys. Um, (laughs) Come on. (laughs) But yeah, so, uh, so this, so Daniel's actually not present at this, uh, this moment where everyone's supposed to bow down to the idol because he's busy uh, with his administrative duties. But his, his buddies, uh, his, his bros, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they're, they're there and, um, because they're lower ranking officials but they're still officials and what nebuchadnezzar does is he calls all of the princes and and uh magistrates and judges and everybody he's like everybody i am a humble king bow down and worship the 90 foot idol of me um and that's and the jews involved like you do exactly and the jews involved just go ah that's not really something i can do and 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 uh, the result is that not Nebuchadnezzar himself, but Nebuchadnezzar's uh, Chaldean priests are like, hey, uh, the the Jews over there aren't worshipping your totally not uh, vain giant golden idol of yourself. Uh, you should kill them. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, you're right. I should kill them. Um, and and the, one of the fascinating parts here is uh, it's, it's Daniel 3.18 specifically. Uh, let me pull it up. I have... My Bible's still open because I thought ahead this time. We learn on the fly at the Lord Lodge. Um, so uh, they say, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Uh, so... Basically, um, Nebuchadnezzar tells them, worship me or die, and they go, um, then we will fight in the shade. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of a badass line when you read it. Like, it's very flowery with, like, Middle English language if you're reading the King James Version. But but it's kind of, it goes pretty hard. (laughs) It's like... He's like, I am going to kill you, and they're like, do it. I love how they say, like, well, you can't kill us if God wants, but if we die, we die, we're still not going to serve you. Exactly. Um, Which, like, I wonder, I always want, like, I know what was going through Nebuchadnezzar's head at the end of this story, but it's interesting to me, like, 
lead up to it right because for those that don't know shadrach meshach and abednego were three friends of daniel they were his uh advisors or people who worked with him in the temple back in judah so whenever daniel was appointed to be like the chief um advisor he says who do you want to bring with you and david brings along shadrach meshach and abednego Mm -hmm. um and that's how they come into the picture so if daniel the guy who could interpret the dream says that these are his three best guys whenever they say i don't think we should bow down to you like the arrogance in his mind to be like Mm -hmm. all right burn them like (laughs) it doesn't matter to me exactly it's just like it's like calling in you know delta force as as like a grunt on the ground and then being like hmm i don't agree with you like <laughs> Literally, like if you're if you're in a war zone, you call in an air, like an A ton airstrike, and you're like, mm, I think you should maybe uh, maybe do it somewhere else. And they're like, What? Why'd you ask? Like, why are we here? <laughs> what was the point of this? Um, so so yeah, but at least this fascinating story where first of all, it gives you a very interesting glimpse into uh, like ancient execution methods because did they really just build a giant furnace to toss people into like uh that that is not the most i think think, well yeah they probably did now that i think about it when you think (laughs) about things like uh god what i can't remember the exact name but uh, it was the the bronze bowl that the minoans would shove people inside of and then heated up from the like the outside so you burned alive inside of a giant bronze bowl for some reason uh there's the one punishment where they would um you know, lock you into a box and coat you with honey. <laughs> so that, like, flies would eat, at, eat you alive. Like, pe- ancient people... It really were, had nothing to do. It, it, it's incredible, because, like, you think about how how we look at, like, the French Revolution and everything, and we're like, man, that's that was brutal. The, the guillotine, like, them, you know, just marching people up and chopping heads off. <laughs> that was so much more humane than whatever the hell the... <laughs> the babylonians were up to like yeah let's just uh we've got all these prisoners we need to execute how should we do it um how's how's chopping their heads off sound nah nah let's cremate them alive like there's there's a degree of just sheer um just sadism involved here uh which you know i i think the phoenicians still take the cake for you know sacrificing children putting a smiling mask on them and throwing onto throwing them onto a fire pit uh to praise ball um like that's uh that one's rough but this is this is close this is not great uh, <laughs> that, that one's rough that one's rough yeah, i'd say it is <laughs> like, uh, but yeah so what happens is uh children, you, children murder not a fan <laughs> yeah exactly even the romans and the romans are like the people that did the gladiatorial games um even they're like yo yo guys maybe let's uh <laughs> let's calm down this is this is wrong um but julius caesar also probably made up the whole wicker man thing so like uh can we really trust the roman accounts of people they didn't like no we can't we absolutely cannot um <laughs> Yeah, someone in chat just brought up uh, Moloch, which is interesting. I have a TikTok video on that. We'll have to get into that sometime. Um, because Moloch is a very, very, like, uh, new concept in, um, you know, in uh, Christianity and Satanism and all that. But, uh, 
so yeah, so with with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Nebuchadnezzar literally just tosses them, has his servants toss them into a furnace. Uh, they are bound together so they can't move, they can't wiggle, uh, they are clothed and everything. Um, and the furnace is actually so hot that the people he tasked with throwing them into the furnace uh, die. It's a little little line in there that uh, kind of you can easily glance over, but it says that they die. Um, and then Nebuchadnezzar, it, it, here's the thing about like the old, a lot of the Old Testament books, they really don't uh, give you a good, they're not written to be suspenseful. They're written to give you information. That's how, like, in, in Genesis 6, it's like, yeah, there were half-angel giants, but now they're gone. Moving swiftly along. Um, <laughs> it's the same thing here. It's like uh, Nebuchadnezzar throws these people into a fiery pit. Um, three of his servants die doing it. And then he's like, yo, why are they walking around inside the furnace? And all of his bros are like, I don't know, man. That's kind of weird. And he's like, do y'all see the fourth guy? And they're like, yeah, we see a fourth guy. And then he just lets them out of the furnace. There's no investigation. There's no questions. He's just like, hmm, we only threw three people in that pit, and I see a fourth one walking around. That's crazy. Anyway, like, um, yeah. And it's it's at this point. Sorry, I was wrong earlier. It's, it's at this point that Nebuchadnezzar declares blaspheming the Jewish God to be illegal. By the way, on my notes page, I have spelled Nebuchadnezzar three different ways. Um, I don't think any of them are correct. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, N-E-B-U-C-H-A-D-N-E-Z-Z-A-R. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, And then the... Yeah, and then the last, like, major incident with with Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Daniel is... uh, (laughs) Is the the lion's den. Um, I I will let you... uh, I'll let you take this one away if you want it. (laughs) Uh, do do you want to skip over like uh, uh, the seven years of madness and all that stuff? Oh, I forgot about the seven years of madness. Yes, t- tell them so tell the, them about so the seven years. Between... <laughs> so, do you want me to summarize up to uh, Darius? Sure, go for it. And stuff. Okay. So after this happened, uh, he dropped Shadrach, Meshach, and a bit. Can also can you hear me? Okay, I know my internet's bad, but is the audio at least? Yeah, the audio is the audio is fine. You're just like, okay, yeah, yeah. If I'm like a, a slender man or like you know angel glitching around, that's fine as long as you. Get... It's actually preferred that way because now I look like some weird broken cryptid explaining biblical lore to you, and that's the vibe <laughs> I want on this channel. So yeah, that works. Anyway, so Nebuchadnezzar throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, into the fire. And then God, or as Nebuchadnezzar says specifically, someone who appears as the son of God, walks them out of the flame. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh man, your God must be the real stuff. Okay, so now you're not allowed to blaspheme the Christian God. And you know what, you guys, I guess you don't have to bow down to the statue. He still made other people bow down to the statue. But he's oh, like, you know, you guys, you know, you're, you're the advisors and all that. You don't got to do it. So everything seemed good for a while. And then Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. I won't go into the specifics of this dream. It's a lot longer than the first one. But he has Daniel come to interpret it for him again. In the dream, there is a great tree that is growing in the field uh, that has an iron band around the base of it. And the short version is that an axe cuts down the tree and the whole field is destroyed because of it. Uh, And Daniel's interpretation of that dream is that you have been given by God this amazing city, um, 
the well-watered plains, you've been given leadership, but because you've grown literally too big for your own head, uh, you will be cut down and your city will slowly fall apart because of it. And he says, Daniel says, because at this point Nebuchadnezzar trusts him, Daniel says, whatever you do, think that the things you have are of your own accord. It's been given to you by God. Do not get boastful about it. And let me read the verse just to drive home how absolutely ridiculous this is. Um, so that happens, right? He says, okay, so that, that happens with Daniel saying, do not be prideful. And then it says, at the end of 12 months, he walked, it took one year. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? The word was in the king's mouth. There fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. <laughs> it's there. It's, it's immediate, like literally, it's Daniel's like, don't be boastful. And then the king's like, man, look at, look how cool I am. I did all of this. Uh, there's a cool image there in my mind because he's talking uh, to like the people of Jerusalem. And it says, as we found out from his son's account, that in the next couple of chapters, they had taken several of the gold and things from the palace. I mean, not the palace, the temple in Jerusalem. So they literally had artifacts of God around him. And he's standing there. Uh, in front of all of his spoils of war saying look at what i've accomplished um so it says that the, uh, god immediately strikes him with essentially a mental illness where he goes crazy and thinks that he is a cow essentially it says he went mad beast roaming with the cattle and for seven years he crawled on his hands and feet and grass uh so he essentially lost his mind and became an animal yeah, let me um, after that, I can pull uh, up a, an image of this really quick and show it to everybody. But keep oh, going. I, I keep know going. the painting you're talking about. I love that painting. There's a number uh, of them. I've got a wood yeah, carving so up right now. My man. Um, so this goes on for a while, uh, seven years. And then it says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, which is, this is his account uh, in the book of Daniel. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. And mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. So that is actually the last account we have, the, or in the verses that follow, is the last account we get of Nebuchadnezzar, at least while he's still alive or in rule. After that, we see his son, Belshazzar, as he takes over. Uh, and this is all leading up to the line. Like, everything I'm saying happened before the famous Daniel and the lion's den. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind for seven years, comes back, and he's like, man, maybe this God thing, I shouldn't take it for granted. He managed to keep his life. Most of the people in this scenario yeah. do not stay alive through all of this. So he's very fortunate in that regard. Son takes the kingdom. So do you want to add anything, or do you want me to keep going about? Uh, go for it. You're, you're more well-versed with this section than I am. All right. Uh, so Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and in, he was raised up in the empire. He was raised to be king. Um, and it says, this is Daniel chapter 5, by the way. It says, Belshazzar, the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, 
commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. It's a bad move. He's having a big party. Very bad move. He's having a big party as they're all getting drunk. They are uh, making sacrifices to their gods, their lords everywhere. And he says, hey, it's that temple in Jerusalem that my dad took all of the gold and there's all these golden cups. Let's bring those here to this giant drunken feast I'm having. Uh, and we're going to drink out of the cups that were meant for the temple in Jerusalem. So they begin doing that. Uh, and it says they drink wine and praise the gods of gold, of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and stone. To you at all, specifically the part about the gold, the silver, the brass, and the iron. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, yeah, ju- just what it's beautiful. Why I love the Bible. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. As his father dreams about um, this fake statue that had all of these meaningless things like gold and silver and brass and all that. Here they are taking the gifts for the Lord in the temple. And getting drunk with them in front of their gods of the same gold and silver and iron and all of that. So this is when a moment a lot of people know who don't even know the Bible happens, which is the writing on the wall. Yes. It says in the same hour, yes, so that they're all getting drunk. They're in this giant palace. Um, uh, the, the painting by, I think it's Sean Milton who did it, is how I always imagine it. It's like a long courtyard um, in Babylon. They're all partying and then this happens. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So in the middle of this party, they're getting drunk, all this stuff, a hand appears out of nowhere, a giant hand, and writes something on the wall. Everyone loses their minds, they go crazy. Um, and it's also written in the language they can't understand. They can make sense of it. So Belshazzar, in the same night, trying to figure out what's going on, he has all of the Babylonian uh, sorcerers and witches um, and things like that come in to try to interpret what the writing on the wall means. And can make any sense of it. And, and just to be clear, this is where we get wives, the term, you, saw, you see the writing on the wall. That's where that where that comes from for anybody who just didn't pick up yes. on it. Yeah, like, just like whenever someone says, oh, the writing's on the wall, as in, like, this is a very obvious warning we should take note of. This was a very obvious warning we should have taken note of. Um, so uh, it's at this point, one of his wives, the queen, says, what about that man who interpreted the dreams of your father? I love that part so much. If the class following along, we're in Daniel chapter 5, verse 10, by the way. <laughs> um uh, I, I saw you pull out your Bible, but um, he says, what about that man of the dreams of your father? I love this part because it brings into context for us that Belshazzar knows exactly what God's capable of, and he knows exactly what Daniel's capable of. So Daniel comes, Belshazzar says, do you have any idea what this says? Daniel takes one look at it, and this is the part I wanted to talk about so much because this ah, it's so good. Daniel takes one look at it, interprets anything. He says, "Oh thou," he said. Uh, there's a lot of "Oh thou King, Most High God," blah blah blah. Um, okay, 
He looks at it, turns to Belshazzar and says, O thou king, gave Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. would slew and whom he would keep alive, and whom he would set up, and whom he would put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Talking about the seven years of madness. Mm -hmm. He was driven from the sons of men, like the beast, and the dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed it to whomsoever he will. And then this is the part, verse 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, O thou knewest all of this. That it, oh, the, it's, <laughs> he brings in. Ah, oh, it's so good. He just he absolutely roasts the shit out of Balthazar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, keep in mind, he hasn't even interpreted what the writing on the wall is yet. He walks in, looks at it, and says, like, your father had, like, that opening part where he says, like, nations feared his rule. He had all the stuff he could, but God, in a moment, took it away from him and gave it back. And he said, and you knew all of this. You were raised by your father. You knew exactly what happened. It's like you, you literally so watched your dad walk around on all fours like a cow for seven years, and it didn't occur to you once. <laughs> It, it did not once enter your mind that perhaps you should respect the god that did it to him. Like, Maybe I should calm down a little bit. Yeah, no, not not even a thought. Um, uh, ah, I love that verse so much. That, that's what I was talking about at the beginning. There's always a point in these stories where they should have known better. Mm -hmm. And Belshazzar, who was raised his entire life to take the throne, should have known not to mess with God. But here he is. Using the gifts of God for everyone else. Mm -hmm. He goes on into the next verses. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then there's, then there's of course, the actual interpretation. I was just going to steer the well, conversation. Well, I, I do want to point this out. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Because I know you like this. Uh, in verse 23, this is Daniel continuing to berate Belshazzar. He says, And thou hast praised gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and who all are thy ways, has not been glorified. Glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. He say, he calls him out for the brass, the iron, all mm -hmm. of that, and then says, "Now, I'll tell you what the wall says." <laughs> I, I just love that how he's like, y you literally like, you were there. For for when I interpreted yeah, like, the first dream, and it didn't you, you didn't pick up on the symbolism. Like you're sitting here with with all of the symbolism that I told your father was going to lead to the fall of your kingdom, and like <laughs> I, I love that image of Belshazzar being a young boy hearing the interpretation of the brass and the iron and all that, mm -hmm. and to hear Daniel now call him back out for it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Daniel, I love, I love, Daniel I love is the roast master. Um. He is the roast master. This isn't the last time he does it either. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> but, so then he interprets the writing on the wall. The writing on the wall is mini, mini, tekel, a parson. Which kind of sounds uh, like, which like I'm some gonna... nursery rhyme 
mumbo jumbo. <laughs> yeah, mini mini tekla parson. Yeah, it sounds like something you'd say while you're like jumping rope. <laughs> Thank you. <Aiden. laughs> sorry, sorry. I just have you, you know no, you no, have intrusive no, thoughts sometimes. And <laughs> <laughs> you just have to say how exactly. the warning against the Babylonian Empire sounds like a nursery rhyme. <laughs> Oh, God, that's... I, I feel like if you wrote this on the wall of, like... I, I'm not gonna say that. I was gonna make a joke about hate crimes, and I shouldn't do that. <laughs> you, shouldn't, you shouldn't joke about such things. Uh. And at, at precisely one hour of conversation, Aiden just loses his mind. <laughs> just goes to the side. You to be started fair, off it's, so strong. It's 46... Now. It was 46 minutes and 52 seconds. <laughs> It was not even an hour. <laughs> but, I don't just like think if you like wrote that on the wall of something, like people would assume it was put like some sort of like anagrammed hate message or something. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean like if today you just randomly yeah. put that somewhere? Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm sure, I'm sure people would be upset by like Latin characters or whatever oh. being written on the wall. Oh my God. But, yeah, so, would you like me to say what the dream means? Yeah, go for, <laughs> for it. the audience who has no idea. Okay. <laughs> I like to hold them in suspense a little bit. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah well, you know, that, you know that if they don't know the story, we're being Daniel right yeah, now. We're I, doing the interpretation yeah, for them. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's kind of fun to use the Bible to edge the audience, you know? <laughs> there was There was so much disappointment in that sigh. <laughs> How do I hang up a Discord call? <laughs> <laughs> How do I leave? Right, anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm, go gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore you and read this. <laughs> this is the uh, he says this is the interpretation of the thing. Meany, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Heckle, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. In Paris, uh, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. In other words, what God wrote on the wall is, I gave you this kingdom, were judged and found wanting more, and because of that, your kingdom's going to be given away to someone else. Uh, and it says that, that night, Belshazzar gave Daniel a bunch of gold because he could interpret it, he knew what the writing on the wall meant. It's, that night was Belshazzar... Go, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, it's, it's just such a fascinating passage. Oh, I love it so much, because it says in verse 30, In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. That very night, Persians had invaded the city, they took it over, they kicked out, uh, they killed Belshazzar, and they took over, and then King Darius of the Persians was presiding over the area, and now that is the setup for Daniel in the lion's den. I do want to quickly uh, address that because it was something that while I was doing my research for this episode uh, that came up a few times. Um, it it cannot have been King Darius because King Darius I mm. uh, did not did not rule until uh, I believe his reign began in 522. So uh, the suggestion by Charles Ryrie, uh, who did the the study Bible I use is that uh, it may have been Gubaru, a governor under Cyrus, it may have been another name for Cyrus, or it may have been uh, Cambyses, the son of Cyrus, who served as the ruler of Babylon. So the, the name Darius in here is is kind of a, a sticking point um, that a lot of people use to argue that uh, it, it's 
it was written by people who were not as familiar, so it must have been by people who uh, were later, and that's where the Antiochus the Fourth thing comes in. Um, I, I like Ryrie's explanation that this is perhaps uh, a a general or a different military leader, because it doesn't say uh, King Darius. It says Darius the Median. And, uh, right. and so I think to... To immediately interpret that as, oh, well, the author's got it wrong is uh, not not as expedient as um, interpreting it simply as maybe they were talking about a different character. But uh, for anybody who is familiar oh, well, with the history or going to look this up later, I just wanted to make that, uh, you know, make it aware, make people aware that I, I am, I know. <laughs> well, we're not with ignoring this stuff, uh, this isn't, this isn't the only time... Uh, not even in the book of Daniel, that a different name is used to describe mm -hmm. someone. Because a lot of the time, uh, what was Daniel written in? Would it have been Hebrew? It would have been, correct? To my understanding, Daniel specifically is uh, about the first half is Aramaic and the second half is Hebrew, I believe. Um, and then later gotcha. it was adjusted so that the first chapter is Hebrew and the rest is Aramaic and then Hebrew. But uh, yeah, so, the, the difference between Hebrew and Aramaic is... It's kind of like the difference between ecclesiastical Latin and Latin. Um, you know, they're they're two branches of the same language. the The point I wanted to say is that with a lot of this stuff, there is different names given to people in different languages. Mm -hmm. So just because someone was called something in one language, they're called another. As a matter of fact, Daniel's name was not even Daniel no. during this entire time. Uh, I'm trying to find the. I, exact I think it's actually verse. Balthazar, if I remember correctly. I think it, it's some name similar. It's in the beginning whenever he's given it. But the point is, Daniel was his home name, like his birth name, but then he was given another name whenever he became advisor. So in history, you're not going to find Daniel under the name of Daniel. Yeah. Um, you're going to find it under uh, the name, if I can find I know it's in it's, the beginning somewhere. It's Belteshazzar. It's uh, Daniel 2.26. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Bel Be Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar. Uh, yeah, that's the name that Daniel's known as in history. He's called mm -hmm. Daniel in the book of Daniel because that's his traditional name or his biblical name. Mm -hmm. A lot of different names. So Darius here could just be the biblical name or the interpretation of his name. Yeah. That doesn't mean he's known everywhere in history as Darius. So that's, also, that's seen a lot in the Bible in a lot of different places. Uh, there's a ton of people in the Old Testament given different names. Joseph's real name, or I say real name, Joseph's name in history isn't Joseph. That's like his traditional Israel name. Uh, his name in history is some Egyptian-sounding word that I forget right now. Uh, yeah, uh, I can't. But I can't remember. Joseph became Pharaoh for a while, or like chief advisor under Pharaoh. So he's, he was given an Egyptian name. So you won't find Joseph in history as the advisor. It's the name there. Everyone was given different names depending on what region they were in. So yeah, uh, Darius isn't always Darius, in other words. Yeah, it's... Uh, so I believe Darius uh, comes from Dariush or Dario uh, in, in Farsi. Uh just to just to address that, like you know, obviously Darius is the Latinized version of it, um, and same with Cyrus and, and all of these, uh, depending on who who you're looking at. Like for example, when you're talking about like uh, the the Persian invasion of Greece, th that was being recorded by the Greeks, so a lot of these have uh, es and x and uh, various uh, suffixes that are more Greek, and then some of them are more Latin, depending on who was recording what. Um, 
but that was just a, a you know, to add on to the point. Um, but uh, yeah, what what follows this actually is um, is the lion's den issue, and this is uh, th- this is what Darius does to him. <laughs> so it's he he really he doesn't really catch a break. It's not like you know the the Persians come in and they're like yeah. You're cool. We'll, we'll keep you. We'll be nice to you. They're like, hmm. <laughs> it, basically, it's like all all the all the respect and reputation this man built up throughout his entire life is just suddenly thrown in the garbage because of the Persians coming in. Um, and just to give the the historical the context to this, right yeah, to give the historical context to this, um, when the Persians took Babylon, they were confused about the whole Jew situation. They were like, why why are all these people here? Like. What, what are you doing? Um, because the, this system of uh, popul- forced population movement and deportation and importation of various uh, people groups was very common for the Mesopotamian empires, but it wasn't common for the Persians. Um, they didn't totally get it. Uh, it also was not very common for the Egyptians. Um, it was a very distinctly Mesopotamian thing. The Romans practiced it, actually, but uh, the Greeks and the, the Persians didn't. So when the Persians got there, they actually took the Jews and they were like, I do you guys want to go home? And the Jews were basically like, yeah, that'd be nice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's just how it goes. You just just described the entire Persian takeover of the Middle East and the return of the homeland of the Jewish Mm -hmm. people. All that is... Yeah, that'd be cool. (laughs) It'd be cool if we could leave now. I mean, that's what happens. But, uh... But when, when yeah, that yeah, happens, no, I uh, you know, Daniel is... Uh, I just hate that you're right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, um, oh, God. Uh, so, Darius, uh, who seems to be the, uh, the person who is king in Babylon, not necessarily the Persian king, um, he, uh, he beefs with, with Daniel a little bit. Um, I... I can't remember exactly what the issue was, though. It's, I'm, I'm blanking on it. Do you recall? Uh, why they threw him in the lion's den? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was praying. Oh, right. They, the, yeah, they, uh... So, <laughs> I love this. This, uh, this little sleight of hand they pull. They're like, we're gonna make it uh, illegal to pray for 30 days. And then the Jews are like, but we gotta. And Daniel specifically is like, but, but, but I gotta, like, it's my job. I've got to yeah. pray. And I, and so the, like, it's one of those, like, I don't want to call it like ex post facto, but it's kind of ex post facto um, lawmaking where they're like, this thing that is common is now illegal and we will be punishing you for it. Uh, so obviously you, you tell a Jewish person they can't pray for 30 days. They're, it's against their faith. They're going to, they're going to pray. Um, and he ends up, uh, they, they, the, the people who don't like him basically turn him over to Darius. And uh, Darius casts him into a den of lions. Uh, this is probably the most famous piece of Daniel. And uh, God binds up the mouths of the lions so they can't actually bite Darius. Or not Darius, they can't actually bite Daniel. Um, and then, as a result of all of this, uh, <laughs> because... You know, it, it totally makes makes sense. Um, 
that, here, let me find the exact verse. Um, then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me for as much as I, as before him, innocence was found in me. And also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. Daniel is kind of like a master of sucking up to people just the right amount. Uh, like when it comes to the kings, which I think he knew is what interesting. he was doing. Yeah, yeah, he's very good at communicating. Um, somebody just popped into chat and said they were just watching the conspiracy theory iceberg. That's funny. Um. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much, Meg. As I can see there, I appreciate it. And one of my friends just texted me and asked if you and I could do a review of Veggie Tales. <laughs> Hold on. That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad <laughs> idea at all. It's actually a really good it's idea. Not. Bro, have you... Hold on. Hold on. Side, side note. Have you, like, as an adult, seen any of those clips? I have not about, gone like, back and watched VeggieTales as an adult, no. They were so funny. I didn't realize the jokes as a child. Like, okay, Jonah, right? story of Jonah ends with him, like, being upset on the hillside because mm -hmm. uh, the city of Nineveh wasn't destroyed, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's like the P is telling this whole story to the others. And then it shows, like... The asparagus that's supposed to be Jonah or whatever, like crying and screaming on a clifftop, and he just goes, and that's it. And the kids are like, "What?" And he goes, "Yep, that's the story." They're like, "No, there, there's no resolution. What's the conflict? What happened?" And he's like, "Don't know. Doesn't matter." <laughs> like I love the self-awareness of the of the people making the show. The other one. Oh, oh, it was like. Um, uh, oh, Jericho. Like, after they did Jericho and it fell down, it was like, and then the children of God never questioned him ever again. And the tomato's like, really? He's like, ever again? <laughs> I, I thought there was a lot of stuff with ever again. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I don't think it'd be a bad idea to watch VeggieTales. I, I might have to go do that. Um, I'm going to make myself a nice old-fashioned and sit and watch VeggieTales. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yes so after daniel comes out of the lion's den and he's like look you know come at me like you, you ain't got you ain't got shit um you know it's uh he, <laughs> uh <laughs> daniel 623 uh then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den, which is reasonable, you know? All right, well, clearly they're not going to eat you, so let's take you out of the den, right? Darius, clearly a very reasonable, level-headed, rational guy. Um, so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in God. And, and once again, like I said, Darius, absolutely no screws loose. So the next thing Darius does is uh, he gathers up the people who, um, who accused Daniel... And uh, he's like, yo, that wasn't cool. Um, so, of course, they're like, ah, oh, man, yeah, I guess we missed. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you missed. Uh, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to take you and also your wives and also your children. And, like, I promised the lions dinner, so we're going to feed you and your families to the lions instead. Um, which, like... I... <laughs> I guess it just seems excessive to me, you know? <laughs> like, what did the kids do? <laughs> what did the children do to deserve this fate? <laughs> also, I love that this is one of the instances where, like, it's... A lot of people are like, oh my god, Old Testament God is, you know, such a brutal person, like, such a brutal figure and whatever. It's like, I, I, I think you're missing the, 
the side of things where like the the pre-Hellenistic world was just an absolute like mess of people being like, what is the worst possible way I can kill someone? And then experimenting with it. Yeah, a lot of guys like in those situations, um, historical context, there was this idea that one's ideas permeated throughout the family or group around it or whatever. So it's like, if you want to destroy that idea, you have to destroy the descendants of that idea. Yeah. Um, which like with the, the, so essentially the King's thought was like, Oh, well, these are bad people. So I need to get rid of like the circle of yeah. potential bad people. Uh, so they threw him in there. What's brutal about that line too, is it says, um, Lions had mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces wherever they came at the bottom of the den. They were shattering their bones before they even hit the bottom. Insane. Ugh. It's just so, like, aggressive, you know? <laughs> it, uh. But yeah, um, I, I mean, the, the, rest of the, the rest of the book from here uh, gets into a lot of prophecy, um, which, honestly, we could probably spend like 80 years diving into um but what i what i want to do with the prophecy aspect of daniel is if you're okay with it i kind of want to save it for when we talk about revelation Ooh, oh oh man that's wow that was a smack yeah of course i, I just <laughs> sounds good <laughs> i just know how many times john references daniel <laughs> like i feel like we're gonna talk about it then you know, so we might as well talk about it then what's interesting about that stuff is uh revelations was very debated whenever they mm. were adding the books to the bible yeah and like the key thing that made them like decide to bring it back is everything john of patmos the all of patmos was saying mm -hmm. was biblically sound because it all drove off of the messages of daniel mm -hmm. uh, which is a really cool note a lot of people look over but yeah i think that'd be perfect to talk about the two in tandem yeah i, I think they go they go very well together um, and just to, to give everybody the, the timeline of this, by the way, um, so I, again, biblical timelines can be a little bit, um, iffy, uh, but so, uh, prior to Daniel, you have, uh, you have Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah begins his prophetic ministry in 627, uh, BC, uh, in 605, um, Nebuchadnezzar defeats the, uh, the, the Jews for the first time. And then the second time in 601, uh, in 592, Ezekiel begins his prophetic ministry. So uh, Daniel and Ezekiel are actually alive at the same time. Um, and actually, Jeremiah and Daniel are alive at the same time. So there's there's a lot more crossover here. Uh, the Christian Bible organizes uh, things not chronologically, but um, more in an order of uh, what's going to make sense um, when you read it in order. So uh, then in 586, uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually raises and um, drives the Jews out of Judah. Uh, Jeremiah is still alive, and he's taken to Egypt at this time. Um, Cyrus invades in 538, decrees the return of the Jews, and then in 536, supposedly Daniel dies. Um, so I just wanted to give everybody the, uh, the, that side of things so you know exactly what time period we're talking about. But at this point, uh, it is one hour into the show, so that is time for us to go to uh, to the Q and A section. Um, you know, we're going to do this the same way that we uh, that we do the, the Monday show, where it's uh, you know, um, 
we will try to get to all the questions, but we will prioritize super chats because um, obviously, if people are if people are kind enough to send us money, uh, we want to make sure their questions get answered. But if you have questions or comments or anything along those lines, uh, you know, feel free to uh, to toss them our way, and I will pull up the YouTube stream so I can actually look at them. Um, I'm scrolling through a lot of the uh, chats. Of there seems to be a lot of support for the veggie. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of support for the veggie tail. People idea. are excited about the veggie tails, <laughs> which I like. I love that. I think that's a good. I love veggie tails. I may oh, make so that to, uh, a main to, to address uh, to address Daryl here. Um, I, I appreciate uh, the the way that you um, take the. Uh, I appreciate the passion you have for taking the Bible seriously, but at the same time, it's. Uh, you know, we're, we are taking it seriously, but we're also approaching it in a, in a casual manner where we can talk to people about it so that we can actually have a conversation, get people interested without diving into all of the, um, you know, the stuff that often drives people away from biblical literature, which is the, uh, the, the very complicated and difficult language, as well as, um, the, the lofty attitude that you often get from, sermons and mass and things like that we want to we want to have an open discussion here where we talk about the bible the, the interpretation and the history of it without it being you know a, a hardcore um lecture so it's it's about you know interest and, and bringing people on board so that they can have a, an interesting discussion and um you know enjoy diving into it without it being uh something really difficult to deal with you know It's a topic that if you're not familiar with it, it can be very intimidating, especially yeah. some of the ideas and concepts around it. Exactly. And gatekeeping does no one any good with that stuff. So, yeah. yeah but breaking so... it down, it's a, because a lot of people kind of treat it with the idea that it's something to be afraid of. Like, oh, well, once you're like a tier 48, you know, Christian of three years, then you can learn about the Daniel prophecies and stuff yeah. like that. I think it's a much better idea to be like, hey, this really not that scary in fact it's kind of cool here's info about it and that yeah. like i'll say this my angelology video mm -hmm. i'm not saying this to give myself any credit i'm just to kind of credit that kind of to be fair you should it's a great video <laughs> it's fantastic <laughs> thank you very much i i learned and, uh, a lot from my that. bible theory video. <laughs> oh cool very neat i'm actually thinking about doing another one about demons soon Ooh, do uh, it. along that same route <laughs> and use um, use clips the, from supernatural i saw a ton of <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a biblically sound, very accurate. Did, did I ever tell you about uh, the the paper I wrote junior year of college that uh, was for my book of Revelation course, and our final paper was on uh, um, modern media presentations of Revelation, and I, I wrote mine on seasons four and five of Supernatural. My my assessment was not that it was accurate, by the way. Um, <laughs> making sure <laughs> my assessment was not they did a good job being faithful to the text but it, it was a fun project to get to do i was like this is this is cool this is a good way to like bring bring it into you know daily life <laughs> all right guys stop fighting with um, daryl in the chat and ask questions <laughs> <laughs> Daryl's just trying to bring is a good word. Still a Sunday... there, there's a question. Is Wendigoon yeah. still a Sunday school teacher? So, yes, I am a Sunday school teacher. Uh, a lot of people, when I say that, they're like, oh, I teach, like, toddlers and stuff. My the, uh, my church isn't huge. Probably attendance of about 300 
on Sunday morning, which is big for a lot of people. But it started out as I was just the college and career age. Because the idea behind it is, you know, like if someone who is a college student uh, has like a personal problem or something about the Bible. And I do talk about a lot of stuff like this with people in my class. Uh, and like, not not even super serious. People just like, hey, what does it mean in, you know, Hosea or like Ezekiel when it talks about blah, blah, blah. And I like to talk through them with it. The idea being someone my age is much more likely to come up to me to ask those questions rather than like, you know, a patriarch of the church who they mm -hmm. may feel intimidated by the knowledge or whatever. Um, so it was like peer teaching. And like, I never did it like, all right, this is today's lecture. It was like me reading stuff like this, having open conversations. Um, because, like, especially during COVID, the sizes got kind of small, I also took on the high school age group, and I just, I've kept that. So I'm, like, high school to, like, call pretty much anyone from high school on who is not married, because there's a married couples class that my dad teaches. So you, when you come to the church, if you're in high school, you're either, or above high school, you're either in my class or my dad's. Um, like, um... I guess that's like a primarily eight-year age group or whatever, but it's a lot of conversations like this. I don't always, like, what I do differently from that than this is I'm much more persistent on, like, the moral side of it or the application mm -hmm. side of it. A lesson a couple of weeks ago about this story of Daniel and how uh, every, everything that happened with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and my, the moral at the end of it, which I still stand by, is that despite the regime changes, despite everything falling apart around them, Daniel was consistently protected because he, in spite of what everyone else did around him, he stayed true to himself and he stayed true to God. And he was protected and provided for. He became the advisor of three different kings during this time. And everything fell apart around him, but he remained safe because he was a man of God. Mm -hmm. That's like the only difference between this conversation and Sunday school. Yeah. But yes, I am still a Sunday school teacher. I love that. I love how simple the answer to that question was. <laughs> the yeah, end of the right, day. Thanks, Aiden. Appreciate it. <laughs> love you too. No, I loved it. I'm not. I'm not talking. I love the. I love the. I love the answer. Wait, I just thought. What's Charles Max deadlift? Charles Max deadlift. That's the next question. You get this one. Go for it. What was it? What's Charles Max deadlift? <laughs> oh God. Um. Oh, I haven't That's deadlifted in a it. while. Um, I mean, I know I can, I, let me figure that out for you tonight. Cause Aiden and I are going to the gym after this. Um, so I, I, I will get you an answer. <laughs> uh, somebody did say to, uh, explain my comment about, uh, Moloch. Uh, so I, I, I misspoke a little bit. Um, the idea that Moloch is, uh, not a god is the new one, not the other way around. Uh, the the spelling in the Bible, because you got to remember that Hebrew is an abjad, not an alphabet, so it doesn't have vowels. Um, but the term traditionally was uh, understood to be uh, a term meaning a, a Canaanite god that they would sacrifice to. Um, give not your children unto, unto Moloch and stuff like that. But uh, now it's starting to become... Uh, you know, more, more mainstream to believe that it was actually a word meaning sacrifice. Uh, and that the give not your children unto Moloch was not, uh, don't sacrifice your children to the God Moloch, but simply don't sacrifice your children. Um, and so that's kind of how people are, uh, are looking at it nowadays. 
it kind of similar to the whole uh, Baphomet situation where uh, it nobody's really sure exactly where it came from. There are a couple of texts from the Crusades that that use that term, um, and they seem to be in reference to uh, the the Islamic um, prayer cycle and how people did that. Uh, and, you know, the, the praying to, to Baphomet, it might have been that they were mispronouncing or mistranslating uh, Muhammad or Muhammad uh, into Baphomet. Um, and to answer the inevitable follow-up question to that, no, we do not worship Baphomet in, in Masonic Lodges. That is a myth. Um, we actually... <laughs> you know, uh, we do keep the goat in a cabinet uh, up on the ceiling. Um <laughs> Just I, hanging in the middle of the room. It's dude, just a I, normal goat. <laughs> I, I shit you not. Uh, when I when I first became a mason, like my first night of uh, like as an entered apprentice, when I was doing the actual ritual to to join, uh, my friend who told me to who like convinced me to become mason was like, I'm not sure if you'll be able to handle the goat. And I was like, Jack, what does that mean? And he just left me on red. I'm not sure if you'll handle the goat. I was like, <laughs> that's that's not cool, man. If I, was in a, if I was in a secret society, or you, you get it, yeah. uh, I would do the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I do it to <laughs> new people now. Like, I, I, now I do it to people. <laughs> it's, what is. it's just a little friendly hazing, you know? We do a, we do a little trolling. Um, <laughs> but, okay, somebody asked... Said, uh, uh, favorite new... Go ahead. Somebody asked, uh, any opinions on the dating of the Book of Daniel? Do you believe the scholarly consensus of 200 BC or the more biblically literalist consensus of 600 BC? Uh, we talked about that early in the show. Um, in, in my opinion, uh, I think it was probably oral tradition passed down from the Babylonian exile and then it was written down uh, around that 200 BC to 150 BC date. Um, there are some stories that were added in later by uh, the Catholic and Greek Orthodox churches, but... Um, I, I like many things. My my interpretation of the history of the literature is probably that it was uh, passed down orally from the 500s until it was finally written down when it became important to write it down in the uh, in the second century. I, I don't know about what about you. Uh, I stick with so I am as a conspiracy theorist. I am. <laughs> Uh, I'm one of the firm believers in, like, the BC timeline was stretched out further than, like, most, not all of them. I mean, you're probably on the same page, but then, like, a lot of narrative accounts, because a lot of people are kind of like, yeah, the, like, written record was a lot shorter. Uh, I think it was a little bit longer than that, so I'm 100% down with the 500 BC timeline mm -hmm. that it lines up with the ideas of, uh, like, the Neo-Babylonian Empire and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, um, I just think I'm it makes pretty, sense. Like I'm confident enough, confident enough in my faith that I'm like the Bible is correct, mm -hmm. and other things need to conform to it. And I haven't yet in like historical timelines and stuff. Yeah, and, um, and it is a... every time there is one, I just research further. I'm like, oh, never mind, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So. Usually, usually, what seems like an inconsistency ends up being answered somewhere else in the book um which is why it's important to read the book in context and not to uh take verses in and out whenever um whenever it's expedient for you to make your point uh whether you're a christian or or a non-christian um but uh yeah i think uh, someone else uh I did... mm -hmm. 
I was going to say someone else asked the question, uh, favorite New Testament writer, uh, mm. Paul, for one. I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I am a big fan of Paul's dedication and how much important stuff he wrote down, but I really like the way John writes. I like John's style and his attitude. I like John as well, but Paul, like, makes me cry. <laughs> like, every time... I, I, no joke, every time I read, like, his letters to Timothy, where he says, like, bring me uh, bring me the writers, but especially the parchments, or when he tells Timothy, he's like, my dear son, and all, uh, it kills me. Yeah, what kills me more than anything mm-hmm. is whenever um, uh, he's talking at the end of Philippians, he's like, and what if I die? What if I'm destroyed? What if this life ends up killing me? Then I have fought the good fight. I have mm-hmm. finished my course. I have kept mm-hmm. the faith. Every time, man, so like, so like the way he talks with some of the language about it absolutely kills me. Yeah. And my favorite parts of it is like the degree in which he recognizes his own salvation and the importance of it. Because Paul was a serial killer. He murdered Christians for a job. There's like those <laughs> brief moments in his writings like... Drop that on people. He was. He. he I, I know. He would but you burn churches and hang Christians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they don't know. Okay, so yeah, they don't context, know Paul was a serial killer. There, are we done? <laughs> <laughs> but Paul was a. Uh... Oh, please, please continue. Get it out of your system. Oh, I'm good. Uh, I I do have to quiet Archie down really quick. So give me a second. Can continue to talk. That's fine. So. What I was saying is, Paul was a serial killer. His job was, he was hired by the Roman government to find underground churches, which were the churches that were following Jesus at the time, and to kill them. He would burn churches, uh, he would kill people's family and hang them up outside of the city. And then it was whenever the light beam hit him on the way to Damascus, um, when he came to the conclusion that God is correct, and then he was baptized. So the greatest Christian, arguably, of all time, um, used to murder Christians for a living. So there is moments whenever he's talking to Timothy and uh, like his apprentices and people under them, whenever he says, how could we neglect so great a gift as salvation? And he talks about even I as wretched a worm as myself dying in the court of a king, what more could I give him than my life? Like, oh, <laughs> someone who appreciates salvation more than anyone else because he's been on both sides of the track. And him in those moments to talk about just like the importance of Christ and what Christ did for him personally. And that when he comes to the end of his life in his final letters to Timothy, he says, tell them, uh, there's some, I forget the exact wording, but it's to the effect of my only regret is I didn't do more god and he's literally about to be executed because he stood up for him like man you want to talk about valiance in the face of death i love paul so much yeah yeah definitely one of the uh definitely one of the most interesting christian figures and one of the most dedicated considering like how how his story starts and ends is just an incredible redemption arc like um when it, like, just like it's what I also love about Paul is like the casual trust he has in the faith. Like a witch approaches him and he's like beyond devil and the witch and the demon flies out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on the aisle. It was his, wherever the place was where the ship wrecked and he was there with all the prisoners. 
and all of the prisoners were saved. And during uh, the whenever they're gathering firewood, he gets bit by a venomous snake, and he mm. throws it. And someone's like, "Shouldn't you fix that?" He's like, "God will protect me." <laughs> like he's just so dedicated. Because as he told everyone in his writings, he's like, "I should be a dead man. Mm-hmm. So every minute of this life I have left on earth, I'm going to dedicate it to God." Which is why his writing. But I, I love Paul so much. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's an important uh, understanding to have when it comes to Paul's writings. Because a lot of people look at it, and there, there are some things that Paul says that people are like, okay, dude, like, maybe chill a little bit. But no, when you look at his his history and his story, there there's essentially nobody that uh, was worse to Christians in in the, the Bible than Paul in his early life. And then he turns around and becomes this, uh, you know, super hardcore, uh, you know, proselytizer. And, you know, I, I see him as much more of a founding figure of of the church than I do Peter, uh, which, you know, gets me in hot water with a lot of Catholics. But, uh, you know. No, 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 no. Because he told Peter, he's like, on this rock, I'll build my church. And Peter ministered to the Jews. Mm-hmm. And then Paul ministered to the Gentiles, yeah. which is us. It is, they were both the rock of the church, mm-hmm. but in different directions. Exactly. So but yeah. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I think is funny, somebody asked a question about witchcraft, so we can, uh, we can kind of slide into that with this, is uh, the, the upside down cross constantly being used as a symbol of like Satanism makes me giggle when I watch horror movies um, because it, it's not, it's, it's the symbol of Peter. <laughs> like... Cause, cause he's. You uh, want uh, no, all right. Hmm? I was gonna say, don't get me started on Peter. I love that guy so much too. Like, man, <laughs> I, uh, I'm sure when, we can yeah, do an episode the, on each of the apostles. Oh man, it, it would kill me. But real quick, Peter. The reason the upside down cross is his symbol is because when he was arrested and to execute him, they asked him, you know, plead your case, and he said, "I only ask that I be crucified upside down." deserve to die the way christ died man i'm gonna get fired up here to say (laughs) i mean they're all just like even if you just read the bible as like a storybook good god the characters are all incredible like there it is an incredible story even if you don't believe a word a word of it ever happened it is such a good story and that's why i think everybody should read it um, but obviously I prefer if people read it with an open mind to understand, you know, that this, this could be the word of God, um, you know, just, just say, just a suggestion, but like, um, that's what, that's why like, it's not only an incredible story and so many amazing things happen, but to me, who is a believer of it, this is like, this is like my forefather, so to speak, the foundation of the beliefs I have today. Yeah. So to read about Peter and Paul, like facing death and saying, I regret, I didn't do more, mm-hmm. man. Uh, like who am I to talk? Ah, it gets me. Ah, yeah, they're uh, it, it just such inspirational human figures. Um, but uh, yeah, the question was, uh, what what do you think about people who are Christian but practice witchcraft? Which I don't think you really can. <laughs> Your face. Your face. <laughs> that look. Because. Um, I mean, it's it, it, it's it, it's pretty clear that you're not supposed to, right? <laughs> I think. Well, so there's different degrees of witchcraft in the modern language. 
just a bunch of people who like like their crystals and you know yeah. stuff like that and like they like their energy. that that's, that's i don't fine. think that like the like i i understand that that a gateway drug but in you know other cases it's not however true which didn't you know which is summoning quartz is a <laughs> quartz is a gateway <laughs> drug is sacrificing drug. your child to satan <laughs> Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, like a true witchcraft, you know, like dark spirits and mm-hmm. trying to like possess people or like have people be possessed and wicked spirits and all that. Yeah, that's pretty at odds with Christian ideas. Um, like spiritualism, whatever. I, not my thing. Uh, I'm not gonna touch it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not also not going to stand on a high horse and be like, haha, no, you can't. Yeah, exactly. Like burning incense or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I will stand on my soapbox and tell you don't sacrifice animals to Baphomet. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe don't do that. I'm pretty you know? confident in that one. Yeah. Yeah, maybe don't. Just, just a thought. Just, just, yeah, it's a better idea if you don't, you know? Um, so uh, we've also got uh, somebody, uh, Gamer Epico, just asked, Wendigoon, what are your opinions on the problem of evil and other arguments like it. Um... Wow, that's a... What? <laughs> on evil? I guess I'd, I'd have oh. to ask what, what, what is meant by the problem of evil. Like the concept of evil? Like why, why, why do bad things happen? I'm not sure. Child There's a... We're going to need clarification on the question, I think. Uh, is there any more questions before we get clarification on that? Yeah. Let me scroll through. Um, just two people scrolling through the phone chat. Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah Traveling Bard, uh, Paul's fantastic. It, like, as, as a Christian, like the Old Testament, I love it, obviously. It's super important. But nothing is more important than, like, the New Testament salvation above all else. But then, like, the modern Christian walk, that's the part directly for us where, like, the rule... Like, when you read the Old Testament, they talk about the law and the rituals and all that. That doesn't apply to us. That's different because we're yeah. living in the age of grace. But when you read about the New Testament Christians and their design walks, that is written to and for us. Um, so if you ever need fired up, there's an entire... several books of the Bible... That were made for you and it gets me going so yeah paul's yeah. paul is the most prevalent in my mind like if i ever need to pick me up that's the pick me up traveling bar also uh, did ask uh how would you balance the theory of evolution and the idea of adam and eve being the first humans that's a good one that's that's a deep one i'm pretty um absolutist with creationism i'd say i'm not i'm not an idiot like i'm also a biology major mm-hmm. um like i also understand concepts of like specific evolution and you know like diverging branches over time and stuff like that but i'm pretty confident in god made the animals he made adam and eve in the garden and then things like uh, you know obviously but what, what was the experiment darwin did two finches different islands developed different beaks because mm-hmm. natural selection like yeah that's just common sense mm-hmm. um but, like, thing was divinely made. Yeah. It came off of, like, source ancestors. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm in a similar boat. I, I am not a scientist. Um, so I am, 
in a position where I do I do feel that uh, in in the absence of being able to do the the science myself, um, I do have to look at the evidence that's been presented. Um, I I think that there and I I very recently did try and reconcile the biblical account of the flood with uh, scientific chronology of the Earth being what is it four point three billion years old. Um, so what what I believe personally when I look at it, and this is not in any way uh, to you know. Uh, try and discredit anyone else's beliefs, but when I look at it, I uh, that that first six days, I I don't I don't see it as six days because if if you notice the first day is before the sun exists, um, so it can't be a it can't be a literal day, it can't be a little twenty four hour day. I see it more as a separation of time, um, where God is um, you know kind of configuring everything over what could play out to be over the scale of billions of years, um, and then. When we get to uh, Adam and Eve, that's when he's like perfected it. I think that uh, that that is that is the perfection of mankind, not necessarily um, his first go at it. But you know, I, I wonder, you know, because when you look at how God, the, the whole God works in mysterious ways, uh, you know, the mantra that so many Christians have, like, you know, w would God just build something in his workshop and then plop it down onto the earth? Or would he use natural processes to to get you to a certain place? Um, so that's kind of that's how I reconcile the two is like maybe maybe reading it as being so literal as like God designed something in heaven and then just it popped onto the earth. Uh, maybe instead of that he you know used the the natural law. Uh, it's th this is also a, this is something that I, I that really got me thinking was uh, was Thomas Paine the American founding father um, because what he said was that. Um, Science is the practice of understanding God's creation. Uh, natural law is the practice of understanding how God created the rules for the world to work without the obvious appearance of things like magic. Um, so that's that's my take on it personally. Tom, uh, Thomas Paine was a very cool guy. Yeah, uh, he's he's one of my favorites. Uh, this is a fantastic read. Ooh, they want us to to talk about Job at some point, which is good. I had to read the book of Job for a, uh, 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 a European lit course, oddly enough. Really? Yeah. I, jo uh, Job, as, as a Sunday school teacher and someone who's like been in the game a while, so to speak, Job is a tough one, but I, I wouldn't mind covering it. It's it's certainly, a, it's it's dense, it's complicated, and it does not make God look very good. Um, <laughs> but I think, so, I think it's important. Someone, uh, they, they clarified on that question, yes. by the way, about the whole uh, evil thing. It's the question of uh, if God is omnipotent everywhere, how does a good God allow evil? That whole thing. Yeah. Um, so I, go, go on. I've got a pretty confident, All at right. least I'm confident in myself, the answer <laughs> with it. So the purpose... Um, so God, when God created heaven and the angels and all that and everything that predates man, um, it was all in the realm of the divine and in glory. Uh, they did have free will to some degree. We know that because at some point um, Lucifer, or I know that the name's debated, Satan, the accuser, whatever, uh, had to rebel along with several of the other angels. So that implies some level of free will and choice. However, what we do know is that the purpose of man's creation uh, as described in the Old Testament, was for God to have companionship with man. Mm -hmm. And that's why every day God would walk and talk with Adam, and then Adam was alone and said he needed, he wanted, he desired a partner for himself, so God created Eve. So every day God walked with Adam, and they found companionship with each other. 
Um, if you're going to have a companion or someone you can talk to about whatever they could talk to, imagine. I wonder what those conversations were like. Oh yeah. I mean, imagine getting be, to like, walk and talk with the being that created the universe. That would be insane. Especially when you're like creations. Yeah. Who can communicate with you. that? Like, anyway, that's a whole nother topic. Um, yeah. When he sure. created the two of them, it was for companionship. If you are going to have companionship with somebody, it isn't going to be a robot who directly thinks and feels everything you do. Why was the tree of good and evil or the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden? Because without that, there is no choice. There is no desire to be with God. At any point they wanted, they could leave the divinity of God. They could step away from the garden. They could take a bite of the fruit and be gone forever. And we don't know how long... Excuse me. I've been drinking that energy drink and it's been talking for two hours straight. Uh, the, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in that garden. Could have been uh, a week, uh, mm -hmm. although considering he had time to name all the animals, it was most likely years. It took yeah. a, They were in there for a while. And eventually each of them were tempted in their own way to take a bite of the fruit. And what that did is that separated the divinity and the perfection of God with the choice to be apart from God. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, sin as it exists is the decision or the essence of being away from the divine creator. Mm -hmm. Because of that, if they wanted to return to that divinity, that's where the sacrifices come in. They had to take that sin, put it on an animal, destroy it, where the sacrificial lamb comes in, up until Jesus Christ died on the cross as the final sacrifice, so that it only took a choice for us to return to that divinity. So you ask the question of why, why does a good God allow bad things? It's because the entire purpose of humanity and everything that we have except a free will. It is for people to have the ability to think to act for themselves and because of sin because of the essence of be of being apart from god we have to have the it is the capability or the choice if we want to return or not sin is apart from creation it's doing bad things it's evil because it is a way it is leaving our intended purpose whereas salvation joining back to that divinity is in in that sense, and a lot of people ask me also, like, as a Christian, are you afraid of death, blah, blah, blah. No, because according to that belief, life as we know it is the timeline of choice you have of if you want to return to that divinity. It's that free will. It's the garden all over again. It's people deciding if they want to walk with God or not. So in that regard, the purpose of life is to make the choice, and then eternity afterwards or the afterlife is experiencing that choice. So the reason evil exists is because without it, without sin, there is no choice in the matter. We're robots apart from the companion that God wants, and his desire is for us to choose to return to divinity. That's why it says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Uh, so repentance, putting off sin, is returning to that without having the absence Without having uh, the choice to be apart from God, there is no choice in returning to him, which defeats the purpose of humanity itself. So. That was beautiful. <laughs> I am... I have no words. That was like the best explanation I've ever heard of that. that my, mine was so much more... I had a much more rudimentary one stocked up, and yours was just like... 
beautiful. Okay, all right. I, I'm not even going to answer the question. I'm... <laughs> that was that was exactly what I was going to say, but much better phrased. Um... <laughs> the, the what really drives that home to me is in the new test. I think I don't know who it was. I'm pretty sure it's one of the four. One of the first myth. No, no, it was James. I think one of them in the New Testament said uh, they, they're talking about salvation. They say the glory that we may return man to his original purpose. And that purpose is being joined back to God. It's not some super complicated question of, oh, do I want to worship? Do I want to dedicate time? Blah, 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 all that. God has always sought companionship with man. It's just a choice if we want to return to that. We talked in the last podcast about does God curse people to hell? And that's not in the Bible anywhere. It's if you choose to not return to God, you are left to your own devices. And those devices are the evil, the torment that the devil has created. It's not God cursing you there. It's you choosing to not return to the divinity. Um, but whenever they talk in the New Testament about returning to our purpose, that purpose is to be a companion with God. Uh, that's also the most convicting verse to me. Because anytime I'm in the day, I'm like, I don't have time to pray or read the Bible and stuff like that. And then I remember God created me because he wants mm. to have companionship with me and I don't have the time for him. That that gets me a lot. It's like uh, not spending so, yeah. time with your dad. But yeah, that's side note. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's... yeah, in a sense. In a sense. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> brought me into this world like at the very least i can like you know go out for lunch um like that kind of thing <laughs> thank you aiden i appreciate it i had something to say again i hate that you're right i hate that you're right again <laughs> this is this is i think the reason i do well on tiktok is because i <laughs> i like to take complicated subjects and present them in like <laughs> the most simplistic form possible I appreciate it. Uh, all right. Um, of, see, uh, see, this is this is why you're big on YouTube with your two and a half hour videos, and I'm big on TikTok with my 15 second videos. <laughs> I should have known. <laughs> this is where this is going. All right. I, I mean, I'm not sure if you're reading the chat, but essentially everybody is, uh, you know, deeply attracted to the way you speak. Um. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's. I'm scrolling through it right now. Yeah. Um, Everyone but, seems very nice. So. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think that covers the, uh, the the free will topic. I mean, to, to quickly answer, like, my side of things, and I think this is, uh, we're at the point where we're hitting uh, almost an hour, an hour 40, so I think it's, we gotta, we gotta end the stream soon, but... Um, wrap, wrap it up. Yeah, I, I, I have a very similar opinion on free will um, and, and evil, evil being, you know, the, the absence of the absence of God, um, rather than, um, an active force on its own. Uh, it is, in my opinion, it's, you know, to be, to be away from God. The word that's actually translated as evil in the Bible is, uh, Ra, and the direct translation is not evil, but rather dysfunction. Um, so there's function with God and dysfunction without that. God. Hmm? I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I wrote that. a, I wrote a paper on it in college. Um, it, it was a fascinating, like, series oh. of uh like readings and things that i went through but uh yeah the, i mean the paper on, I'll, I'll shoot you a copy of it so you can see where i'm coming from with that uh and if anybody else wants to see it it's uh it's up on my um on my patreon which uh like for the the one dollar a month tier you can read everything i've posted there um but uh let's see uh, that's a lot what i was saying about like our intention is companionship 
But that idea that, like, if you are not participating with God, evil is just going against your natural function of mm-hmm. being close to God. I love exactly. that. That's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. I, it's, it's definitely... Man, I'm going to remember that. That's good stuff. <laughs> That's that. That's a good one, in my opinion. Uh, there is one last thing. Everybody wants you to say the word giants the way you do in your videos. Giants. There we go. I love how many people were like begging for that the entire time. <laughs> I love that that's become a channel. I mean, it makes me so happy. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Everybody's saying you should su- uh, live stream your Sunday school things. You have been doing that, haven't you? Um, not live streaming, but doing like a series no, of like do, Sunday school um, videos. Yeah, of Sunday school lessons. I've I someone in my Sunday school class actually suggested that. I'm like, oh, why don't you like you know just record these sessions or whatever? And I would. The reason I don't want to is because. Like, my Sundays, it's not huge. It's, like, you know, 10 to 15 people mm. on any given Sunday. Um, but a lot of them are very comfortable in the environment, and they're comfortable. Like, some of them took a while, you know, because just, you know, like, adjusting to new groups of people. But they're comfortable enough now where they'll, like, in the middle of class, be like, oh, well, what's that mean? What's that mean? And I love that. I love mm-hmm. I love people being interested in the Bible. I love people talking about it. People will come to me and be like, hey, so I read verses from what you were talking about last Sunday. That's my favorite thing in the world, mm-hmm. the idea that I'm encouraging people to do that. Yeah. And I'm afraid if I set up a camera and a microphone, it's going to discourage that. Yeah. Um, because that, that, that brings it away from being like, oh, I can talk and, and do whatever I want. And, like, I always bring donuts to class, and, like, people lean before and we'll talk about not, not even Bible stuff, just random stuff. And I don't want to take away from that atmosphere. So I definitely right. would, but I got to put the people there first. So. Oh, I, totally understandable. Um, I mean, hopefully we can uh, we can kind of bring that bring that to the people with this show uh, as we go through it. I think that's very I'm excited for this. This went Me great. Too. I think I'm very yeah. excited. I feel very good about this as an inaugural episode. But uh, that is, it's definitely getting to the point in the night where uh, it's getting a little bit late. We've been on here for a while. I'm tired. I'm sure you're tired. Um, and I still have to go to the gym. Aiden just walked in like 20 minutes ago, and uh, he's he's entertaining the dog. <laughs> Um, so I've got to go downstairs and I uh, get get the chat that uh, that deadlift um, record they they re- requested. Um, I'm probably gonna like throw say it on my someone, back. I will say someone, a couple of people suggested that you to clip my speech, yes. quote unquote, and post it. You you have full freedom to clip and upload whatever I say. <laughs> right. uh, if I say it on the show, you have copyright. I appreciate that. <laughs> Rights to the. I will You're lie. welcome. <laughs> I, I will certainly uh, take a clip of it, and I, I will send you a copy so you can post it as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then we can promote the show a little bit. Um, all right, but, yeah, so that's uh, that's going to be the show for tonight. Thank you, everybody, who stopped by. Uh, you know, I, this is actually a great turnout. I'm so happy about it. Uh, Wendigoon, my guy, you want to you wanna give them your, all your stuff? I'm sure they all know you, but, like, just in case. I just want to say to everyone, thank you so much for showing up for the first episode. Did we come up with the title for it yet? Uh, I think we're going with the Weird Bible Podcast. Bible Podcast. Thank you for being here for the inaugural episode of the Weird Bible Podcast. I enjoy it. Seems like I enjoy it. I had a great time. And I'm so glad that you turned out. So, sincerely, thank you for being here. It means a lot. All right. Uh, and where can everybody find you, in case they don't know? Uh, it's Windigoon. On Twitter, it's Windigoon8. Everywhere else, it's just Wendigoon uh, on YouTube. Uh, 
That's really it. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, and YouTube. But Are you yeah, still doing catch TikTok? me on those. <laughs> No, uh, I actually deleted them because I was kind of like, uh, I may use this in the future. And, like, the current TikTok side up was me, like, making fun of Bella Delphine and stuff. I'm like, this is lame. <laughs> I don't want to do this. So I just, like, clean slated it. Uh, I, I still have the account. I may do something with it in the future, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah, understandable. All right. Well, uh, I guess that, <laughs> that is the end of the night. Um, uh, and if, if you are... Coming from Wendigoon side of things and you don't know me, I'm Aiden Mattis. This is uh, my my YouTube channel. We do a show Monday nights as well where we talk about uh, the spoopy, the paranormal, um, and and history and it, it's kind of a kind of a show about everything, if we're being honest. Uh Wendigoon's on fairly often actually as a guest. Uh, and then um you know, and over on TikTok, I'm just the Aiden Mattis, the same uh, with Instagram and Snapchat and everything, so come check me out if you would like to. Uh, if not, I understand. Um, you know, I'm kind of an asshole at times. Uh, so thank you everybody for stopping by and, uh, we will, we will see you next time.